Well, welcome back, everyone, to Us Without Them, a podcast about me without you. Real time, as we are recording this episode, we are on the other side of the end of the end. So uh, if you note a hint of wistfulness, <laughs> sadness, <Solemnity>. melancholy, <laughs> yeah. Um, or we just use different tenses of verbs when we're talking right. about the band. <laughs> know that we've hit the breaking point, that when we recorded the Soviet, the band was still actively performing, and now on Paper Hanger, they are not. Yeah. Wow. Huge. We're not going to talk about the end right now, though, because we have <laughs> plenty to talk about on this song itself. Yeah. 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 This is the eighth track uh from catch for us the foxes yeah and the second single that they released is that right i think that's right i believe january 1979 yeah i think that's um, right they made a music video for this song which is the first time that greg appeared with the band Mm. right so every time i think of this song actually i i think about greg because it was just at that junction point, and I don't know the whole story about when Dan left, but obviously he was around to record their first two albums. Somewhere in the promotion cycle, he was no longer with the band because Dan is in the video playing bass for January 1979. Mm-hmm. Right. Greg Jahanian is in the video for Paper Hanger. Yeah. And so it seems like his song somehow, even though I know he's not on the record, like right. I, just, I can see him yeah. around the streets of Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. so to me, like that's that's always the ready association I have with this song is just the mm. image of Greg joining the group for the first time. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's mm. interesting. Yeah. I th- this is I think this has always been a standout track for me, I think, um, because of how catchy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also it's uh, the structure of the pre-chorus chorus and actually a like an interlude that precedes a pre-chorus then right. into a chorus that seems very out of character to me in terms of their songwriting. Like normally yeah. it seems like they just jump right into the chorus straight from the verses. Um, at the very least, you don't typically have like this much going on before mm-hmm. an actual chorus starts. Um, but it really, um, yeah, it really builds up the excitement of the chorus. I, I mean, it's um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's just it's really fantastic. Yeah, it, and, and in that way, it almost follows a more traditional songwriting structure. Yeah, but totally. it doesn't feel like a normal song. Like it's so catchy. No. Yeah, but in a way that other songs that have pre-choruses, choruses, and bridges don't right as catchy Mm -hmm. i mean in a sense this is this is like one of the most quintessential sounding me without you tracks just because the way that you know aaron's vocal delivery on uh you know on on the verses is like very much like paradigmatic i think of Mm -hmm. how he normally delivers vocals and um yeah, and then just everything else, like the catchiness and and mm-hmm. the and then the ending, right? The <laughs> um, the breakdown at the end, which is always one of my favorite things to see them play live, just because Ricky, I <sighs> I don't think that Ricky goes crazier like on any other song. That that one part, he always 
just loses his mind and it's yep. amazing <laughs> to watch yep. every single time it's yeah amazing. Let's jump into the first verse of this song. Mm -hmm. And before I can even start reading it, I have to acknowledge that the words that are printed in the liner notes and the words that Aaron actually says on the recording are different. So I'm just going to read what's in the liner notes. And if you've heard the song, you'll hear immediately. Not necessarily a meaningful difference, but an interesting one. So here we go. The way it's printed, it reads, How hopelessly I've tried to forget prettiest bag lady I ever met, pushing her cart in the rain, and gathering plastic and glass, she watched the day pass, not hour by hour, but pain by pain. I was a basket filled with holes, and she was the sand I tried to hold that ran out behind me as I swung with some invisible hand. Hmm. Wow. That is quite different. And I, I'll just insert how I hear it and how it's notated on Genius.com. The first line is what's different. Her not one motion or gesture could I forget. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting change for sure. Yeah. I think it's better the way he says it out loud. Yeah. yeah. Hopelessly is is a, it's a very emotional word, but it's not a very imagistic word. Right. Correct. Yeah. It's not descriptive enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing what we've seen with the comparisons to Elliot in previous songs. Her not one motion or gesture could I forget is kind of poetically written. You wouldn't say yeah. that phrase in that way mm -hmm. except in verse. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. uh, but in that way, it lands with you and becomes more realistic in your mind. Like it, if you were trying to say that casually, you would say something more like I couldn't. I couldn't forget how she moved or made gestures and oh, yeah. like who would ever think to say that. <laughs> right. Right. But right. Right. This puts the, the onus on the motion, like literally everything she does. Yeah. Yeah. Sticks in this person in the narrator's mind. Well, and, and to that point by setting up this very poetic sounding cadence for the opening, mm -hmm. it creates an expectation even within a single phrase that we're talking about some sort of probably romantic involvement or interest here. I mean, we've already had literally an entire album about a failed relationship with a girlfriend right. who, as it turns out, continues to haunt almost every song on this album in some way or <laughs> mm -hmm. another. So mm -hmm. we have now a huge amount of data to make us assume upon hearing her not one motion or gesture, could I forget? And then what that sets up is such a surprise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It really is. You're right. Pretty yes. bag lady so, I ever met. So who do you think the bag lady is? That's kind of the big question I think that has to be it answered is. here, right? It is. Because the whole song is kind of about her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just, just to – this is one of those phrases that I think deserves being defined mm -hmm. as – I don't know where the uh, as Oxford languages defines this. A bag lady is a homeless woman who carries her possessions around in shopping bags. Yes. Right. So, yeah. 
I don't know. When you say the phrase bag lady to me, there are two people who live not very far from me that I imagine, and neither of them are objects of my desire. <laughs> if that, okay. they're, yeah. they're usually elderly people that you see mm-hmm. with some compassion. Some, you know, you see their humanity, hopefully, but you of don't course, see them yeah. as someone that you. Sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even I, talking I about it. lust here. I'm I'm talking about like there's just, just not someone that you would Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not necessarily going to call that person pretty and right. think about every bit of their motion. Well, that's why se. my mind immediately jumps to bag lady being a something of a metaphor. Exactly. Here, right? Yeah. That um you know, whether this – let's just go with, for the sake of argument, that this is Amanda. Yeah, just sure. because we know that um, in uh, two songs from now, he will mm-hmm. say Amanda's name in yes. four-word letter part two. Okay. So, Which he has not said to my memory, to my recollection. Nowhere else. At all. Nowhere else. <laughs> nowhere yep. in A to B Life, nowhere on this yep. album. Yep. yep. That's Yeah. That's the first place. So – one one way to th- that you could think about this, I, I guess, is that um, the uh, and I I just want to <laughs> make everyone aware that I know that homeless is not really the preferred term anymore. People yes. experiencing homelessness, but unhoused, for the for this yeah. yeah or unhoused yes. So the un the the state of being unhoused right. I think you could understand that as her perhaps leaving the church community, mm. right? Because we, yeah. you know, we had talked about that a, a bit toward the beginning of the album. Um, you know, there are some metaphors uh, earlier on that suggest that, uh, you know, that she was, right, swept swept out in the alleyway or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yep. Um, yep. Uh, like trash. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I think that in a sense, this is continuing, you could see it as continuing that um, metaphor in a way. Um, you know, you then have have the task of trying to figure out like, okay, well, what is her gathering plastic and glass, um, watching the day pass pain by pain um, mm-hmm. is, is interesting uh, as well. Um, but yeah, yeah I don't, I'll let you guys jump in. It, uh, just jumping right off of that point, what's interesting, though, is the leaving the church has included her, certainly, specifically with the line being, you know, sw- swished, swept away like garbage in the alleyway, right? And, But also it's happening to him, or it's something he's considering, the, the narrator, mm-hmm. that is. So it's, yes. it's interesting that this metaphor is purely based around her as, as the center of, uh, of the metaphorical conceit here. So... Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that is? Why is he focusing on her and not us or, or him and her, right? Like, I think, I, I mean, the thing that jumps to my mind immediately is that she's on the other side of it already, mm. right? She is already, she's, she's left. Yeah. Um, and he is still contemplating, right? So it's like he's watching her, right? The, the first line tells us her not one motion or gesture could I forget, right? That yeah. suggests that, he is watching her every move, mm-hmm. right? 
um, mm -hmm. watching everything that she does, right? She's pushing her cart in the rain, gathering the plastic and glass, watching the day go by, not hour by hour, but pain by pain, right? Sort of taking stock of this is what it's like to be outside of the church, to be outside, right? The, just kind of taking note of like what her day to day is. And it's all couched in terms of survival, right? Mm -hmm. Pushing her cart in the rain, gathering plastic and glass. Those are all ways that unhoused people survive, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. We're kind of we're kind of describing what it is to be unmoored from something, right? Like mm -hmm. like we have things. If we were if we're vessels, you know, ships, we have some a, a, a port to call home, if you will, a place to moor right. ourselves. And she isn't that from the perspective of someone who is currently in the church, and we see how the church treats someone like that, seemingly. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's right. And I think that the next, the, the sort of last four lines of the verse yes. kind of confirm it, right? Because mm -hmm. I was a basket filled with holes. She was the sand I tried to hold, right? So he, he, I mean, that is referring to all of A to B life, right? There. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? That, that was just, <laughs> we've yeah. had another couple few lines like that. We're like, oh, you just summarized everything you talked about in the last yeah. album in right. one yeah. song. That, yeah. Yeah. With, with this one metaphor, he's describing everything he went through on A to B life. Yeah. Right? He could not contain her. He could not hold her. The sand ran out behind him. So he's moving he, forward. He's continuing on, Right. Right. Well, yeah, he and he was trying to carry her with him. Yes. Right? He was trying to use his faith to carry yes. her faith. And it didn't work as he swung at some invisible hand. Mm -hmm. That is a very yeah. loaded line in a it lot is of a very ways. loaded line. And I want to I want to just sit with the ambiguity of a particular passing word in the middle. So sure. as I swung, did you just say at? At, yeah. Yeah. So so you said at. I've always heard this as as I swung in some invisible hand. Oh, okay. Oh, I have, I have too. Yeah. Because he's the basket. Yeah. But reading it in the liner notes, it says, as I swung with some invisible hand. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> prepositions. No. <laughs> make, all three of those completely change the meaning of yeah. what this could They really be. do. Okay. Okay. So we should parse this, though, from original press, uh, a religion. Uh, I'm sorry. Original. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should parse this out from the original intent, i.e. what's in the liner notes, what we heard, and then what is ingenious, I think, because... Man, they really do change that metaphor a lot. <laughs> okay, so the liner note says, with? As I swung with some invisible hand. Wow. Oh, man. So, well, let, let's let's just talk for a moment about the phrase invisible hand. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the thing, the thing right, that comes Adam to my Smith mind, time. yeah, okay. There, yes. Nick, <laughs> Nick jumped out ahead of it. Yeah. No, uh, that is what, no, no, it's fine. It's well, yeah. So the, for those who don't know the reference, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, uh, in, in, uh, the book wealth of nations by Adam Smith, which is an 18th century book on economics. Um, Smith is essentially is like defining, modern capitalism in, in a lot of ways. And 
he has this idea of the quote invisible hand of the market, which is this you know laissez-faire free market capitalism idea that like the the push and pull of supply and demand and and market forces will just make sure that everything stays fair essentially, um, which is <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well. I won't. I won't get into what I think about that. But I will. Um, okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I mean, I think. Yeah, I don't know if if anyone else has anything to add about that. But that's the the idea is that the invisible hand is this um, control, uh, yes. in a sense that you can't see, right? But that is a force that is working on maintaining balance in uh, in the market. Now, I don't think necessarily that that's the invisible hand that this is referring to, that would be odd. Um, yeah, odd at the very least. Yeah, but but there is a similar, there's at least a sense that that Aaron the, or the narrator, um, you know, has, is, is trying to swat, if we're going with at, <laughs> is trying to swat at some force that he thinks is responsible for something, right? Yeah. That's very vague, right? Where you can fill in those blanks, but that with the preposition at, that's how I would read that, that this is like, um, he's swinging at this hand to try to get it to stop Mm. doing Mm -hmm. whatever it's doing. Yeah. To slap it down. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I'll let you guys take the other prepositions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, real quick before I get into that, I wanted to respond to the Adam Smith stuff a little bit. So while I agree, I highly doubt that Aaron's making a direct reference to Adam Smith's invisible hand. And I'm sure Adam Smith is not the first person in English, well, Scottish to be technical, uh, <laughs> write, philosophy and writing to mention the phrase invisible hand. He is the one who basically made it canon for the Western world. Right. Well, and yeah, I, I've never read all the way through the Wealth of Nations. The first chapter was interesting. Yeah, after that, it's it's an interesting read. I, I personally think a lot of libertarians take it way too far. And he's yeah. talking about much more interesting human concepts that don't have to fit squarely in modern capitalism. But for that's sure. a topic for another podcast. Sure. Um, I, all I was going to say, though, yeah. is I have. I'm probably, this is probably conjecture, but I have witnessed a lot of largely people in more of the libertarian camp. No offense to any libertarians on here. No, yeah, no offense to any libertarians listening. Um, I'll leave that there. Uh, (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to contain myself. I know, know, me too. The communist in me is showing. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, God. Oh, where? What plans are we on right now? <laughs> I know. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is, and this is probably largely conjecture, but a lot of modern Christians use the concept of the invisible hand tethered to God's influence on the material world. Like that. That's the free market is just an extension of God enabling things to be the way they should be. And so if you just yeah. let that happen, you're doing service to God. So I don't yeah. think that's what Aaron is implying here, especially knowing his personal politics, the little bit that we do. 
But I find that interesting because I think a lot of conservative evangelicals do fall into some of that rhetoric, that very pro late stage capitalist mantra. Like if you just let the the market do what it's going to do, that's that's the Christian way. That's the right right way to do things. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I I think almost certainly Mm -hmm. that. Aaron is referring to the hand of God by saying some yes. invisible hand, whatever the preposition yes. is. Right. Yes. yes. Seems logical. Uh, he could have chosen another word and perhaps he was, he, he was willing to let the association stand. I mean, I think he's very careful with each word that goes into these things. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And so because it's in the public conversation about the invisible hand guiding the market, the fact that he's working through either a little or either a literal observation of a person on the street, pushing a cart in the rain, or he's using that as a metaphor in either case, this is a real or a metaphorical person who is a victim of a market driven by whatever force this invisible hand yeah. has at its Ooh. disposal. And whether or not he was specifically intending to reference Adam Smith in addition to God, I I do think that's a fair reading because there is a sense of distance and non-intimacy with the divine in a phrase like, as I swung with some invisible hand, right? Some invisible hand is not like, it's just some uncontrollable force. And that seems to be what's at play here. Right. Yeah. And so if you take it with the word with, which I personally have never heard that, like in my ear, it always sounds like the word in. Same. But we already have a setup on a small scale of of a basket with sand running out. And and you can picture this like as a person walks that their hand is swinging. And if you've got a basket full of sand, every step is going to move the sand a little bit further out of the basket. And so if we already picture him as a basket filled with holes, she's the sand inside. Now you have to have a hand holding it that's doing the swinging. And so now the question is, whose hand is that? And I don't know that the preposition between with or at definitely brings up a different conversation about swinging, right? Because then swinging now is like a retaliatory act or or an aggressive act or something. Whereas with is very passive. It's just, I'm the basket in this hand. The hand is just swinging me around and she, I'm just going with it. Yeah. And I can't do anything about it. The hand is holding me, but apparently I'm not holding her. And there she disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And in that way with an in kind of get a little muddy because you're right, Steven, in implies a little more well at is retaliatory but i could also see in not being retaliatory per se but like it's accusing the hand of doing the thing as i swung in some invisible hand rather than with like with is a little everything's a little more passive in that as i read that yeah yeah i think in some invisible hand takes no agency in it. You're entirely at the disposal of the thing with is a kind of a joint agency. Yes. Somehow. Yes. And and you listening, if you think we're totally overthinking this preposition, yes, yes we are. (laughs) 
But I assume this is not your yeah. yeah, this is yeah. not your first rodeo with us, so you're yeah. okay with that, I'm sure. This is nothing. <laughs> Child's play. <laughs> Just to back this up a little bit, I, I'm totally willing to read this as a metaphorical description of Amanda. That's fine. I'm also totally willing to read this as a literal person in the condition that he's describing. Mm. And here's here's part of my logic for that. And some of it comes from the imagery of the video because they show themselves kind of in and around various parts of Philadelphia, which I've only been to that city once. I've, I don't live there. I don't know the neighborhoods or whatever. But I do know that around the time they were working on this album, Somewhere in his life, Aaron moved in with this Christian commune called The Simple Way in, I think, Kensington is the name of the neighborhood. And, yeah, I think so. And part of what The Simple Way was doing, maybe still is doing, I don't know if anyone out there knows if, if this is still an active organization, um, was providing housing for people that didn't have anywhere to live. They basically bought mm, yeah. a large apartment complex and were just finding ways to place people in a home. And so if this is coming directly out of that experience, either his experience seeing people in that condition is going to influence his metaphorical image, or this is something about something literal. And and the real lived experience of, of being with the simple way would apply in either case. The thing that I find interesting is that we are now in the back half of this album. And as we talked about last time, mm -hmm. we had all this mirror imagery that pairs Seven Sisters and the Soviet in a bunch of different ways, right at the folding point of the middle of the story. So if, if we've turned a corner and we're now sort of moving in a different direction on the other side of the mirror. Yeah. Perhaps... Up till this point, in the first half of the album, we were looking at the story of him going through this separation with a church. Okay. And and again, I don't know the nuts and bolts, and I don't need to reconstruct the actual like biographical details of Aaron's life, because I think the album is actually more powerful if it's more generalized. Yeah, if we don't know the specifics. Experience. Yeah, yep, I agree. Absolutely. But I think without knowing this concretely at all, that the church that Aaron was a part of that actually got him like into the Christian fold in the first place, having grown up in a household that was not practicing Christians was a church that Greg Jahanian was going to, that he invited Aaron to church. This is before me without you as a band. They were maybe playing yeah. the operation by this point, but Greg had invited maybe. Aaron to church. He had joined and without going into any details about stuff he said in interviews about that, I think probably the experience of leaving the church, if in fact that is a major theme or the major theme of this album, is about leaving that community, most likely. And finding mm. something else in its place is what the back half from track 7 to 12 might be about, at least in part. So if yeah. you want to take that reading, then now the simple way becomes the stand-in as the sort of representative, like other different, more authentic community mm. of faith that he starts to see himself mm. a part of. None of that is made explicit here, but the imagery right. of the video leads me to think in that direction a bit. The presence of Greg in the video, although that's mostly just the accident of he was the guy they knew who could 
play the bass who would join at this point <laughs> like right that ties me to start thinking about differently and and then now you drop in to the idea of just a person in a really desperate situation yeah being the subject of his keen interest shows a marked difference in his focus from being interested in this girlfriend to now like actually caring about people suffering in the world yeah that's mm. pretty that's pretty fascinating i i honestly think that not only can you, but you should read it as both. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's some compassion here, regardless. Compared, especially compared to A to B life. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. For for this person, and therefore, I think there is some definite potential that it is an actual unhoused woman. Yeah. That you know, and he's just describing those things, but it works so well as a metaphor and dare I say metaphysical metaphysical conceit, even that it could be Amanda, right? Because it's supposed to be both. Sure. Like it, on the surface, you you get the metaphor, you, you get the reference if you're reading it literally, yeah. and the metaphors around it, and then if you read into it the context of it being Amanda or someone else, you know, it, right? For example, if we go back to our discussion of disaster tourism. Was that Amanda who was the woman whose shirt he was looking down, whose dress he was looking down? Mm. Not positive, but interesting. Yeah. Well, no, that was in the Soviet. But it's funny that that gets inflated in your head because that is that's where the conversation has gone. I never thought of disaster tourism as like a linchpin that made this album make sense. But Mm -hmm. as we've been going through. (laughs) No, but that's what that's what caused it. And there were there were multiple things of lust being pulled there. Right. And then you're right. Yep. The Soviet has the direct line of his personal lust looking down to right. pray. Yes. Looking down her dress. Yes. Thank now, you. Now I, I want to tread lightly here, but just an observation about the mirror imagery on either side of the mm-hmm. album. It's interesting that if you go one track away from the middle point on the first half of the record, you get disaster tourism, in which case almost certainly somewhere in the vicinity there, there's talking about a brothel. So there's, there, there are women in a different kind of uh, situation there outside of the sort of cultural mainstream norm, whatever you want to say, right? So I, I don't want to like mm-hmm. do too close an overlay here, but having having the brothel in that scene and then flipping the opposite side of the album gotcha. and having the bag lady here, at the very least, mm. they're different types of feminine characters than we've seen in anything yeah. else to this point. And it's interesting that That's they yeah. sit in those mirror positions. Yeah, it it yeah, is. Very and interesting. I, I think it adds more credence to what you were just saying of of the turning point of how he is viewing others. Yeah. The narrator as well. Yeah. Yeah. That it is interesting because in both cases, like if we're gonna read the bag lady as an actual unhoused person, right, somehow connected with simple way, right? There's this is someone that is being ministered to. Mm-hmm. Right. To use yes. the Christian jargon. And <laughs> but that is also what the um, the women in the brothel or the windows in the red light district were. Yeah. Right? they were objects of ministry yeah. uh, as well. Um, so while we do have two very different feminine characters, right, in the context of Aaron's experience with um Christian like missions work to just yeah. put it as broadly as possible. Sure. Right. You also, you know, they, they also are sort of in that functional role as well. And it, 
that reading also makes sense because this then this metaphor of the basket filled with holes um oh man it reminds me so much of students that like i worked with uh you know uh i was in youth ministry right around uh the time that like invisible children was still uh very much a big thing and for those of you who don't know invisible children is a uh, was an organization as well as a documentary um, about uh, children who were like abducted and and like turned into mercenaries or so, something like that. Yeah, in, child in soldiers. And, and right. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, yeah, I had I had students who like every year at their Christian high school they would watch this documentary and they would feel so helpless right or we would do like some kind of um like work in like a uh you know midnight mission in downtown la or something like that um like serving food uh and students would come back like feeling this sense of like hopelessness right just like a basket filled with holes and these people are the sand that they're mm-hmm. trying to carry or, or save or rescue in some way. And yeah. like, it was really hard to kind of get them to get out of that mindset. Like you can't rescue or save them. No. All you can do is, um, you know, treat them as, as human beings and, and fight in other ways for their dignity. Um, yes. you cannot take them off the street personally, like you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So that's another, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I like that, um, that it can be read both ways and, and that the metaphors work yeah. very well in both cases. Well, and let's take that a step further and go back to seeing it as Amanda or at the very least another a love interest. But I really like thinking of it as specifically Amanda. He's now seeing her in a new light of requiring that same feeling of like, see her as a human, not as a not as a harlot, not, not as a person who betrayed him or, or, you know, if, or that he betrayed her in any way, seeing both of them as more human, I guess is, is really the lovely thing here. And just going back, Stephen, to you, you brought up the, the, the significant mirror imagery. We also talked a lot about the sensation of plummeting into water and then, uh, and then coming up. Yeah. Especially at the end of the Soviet. And so this is like the new breath of air that he's mm-hmm. seeing is bringing this new, I won't call it revelation because that's a loaded word when you're talking about Christian imagery here, but the new sensation of seeing people as not misguided insects, for example. Sure. You know, that's the type of imagery he was using to talk about others at the start of this album. Yeah. Well, it's let's hang on to that thought about the the ascending nature of this, and I want yes. to get into the pre-chorus and the chorus. It, it, uh, yeah, I'm putting, yes. the, I'm laying that down because there yeah. are there's some ascension that'll happen later. So, yeah. I just want to note again the instrumental. Yes, right, oh, that thank starts you. where you have this descending uh, kind of uh, reverby mm-hmm. uh, guitar, kind of post rock guitar, and. Um, uh, Ricky just again wailing on those toms, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah it, it's a it's just a really um, it's like a moment of calm, right before things start to build up again. Yes, right because the it kind of like the energy of the song kind of dips down a bit at that point. 
um, before then, like mm -hmm. a new layer gets added back in in the pre-chorus, and then the, yeah. So yeah. no, the, great point, great point. The the production there is truly the production and composition of this song is is so top notch because it flows with the lyrics seamlessly, mm -hmm. like so perfectly. Yeah. So so anyway, because oh, you brought up the the sound of the music here not to delay getting <laughs> to this chorus any longer. Mm -hmm. I, I, it needs to be said paper hanger is the first song in me without use catalog, starting from all the way through a to B life up till this moment that can reasonably be read as being in a major key. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Because it, all the notes in it, not, not all the notes, most of the notes in it fit within a D major scale. Where the song actually starts is a little bit tonally ambiguous. So the ending of the Soviet was this big old fat E natural. Mm -hmm. And as that fades out, you just hear some kind of overtones. And that's just part of like a distorted guitar with a bunch of sustain on it. Mm -hmm. Then you hear these other pitches kind of grow out of that texture and just by the nature of the overtone series one of the most prominent overtones above that e is, a, is b natural and that oh. b natural is just sort of ringing in your ear a little bit at the as the fade yeah. out of the soviet dissipates and this song starts mm -hmm. that is kind of outlining an interesting, mm -hmm. actually non-triadic harmony, but centered around mm -hmm. the pitch B. That's just uh, B naturals and F sharps. And then there's this interesting extra note, which is a major hmm. second or a or major ninth above the B. It's this kind of soft, pleasant, jazzy sound. Mm -hmm. say jazzy indeed yeah put it in a different context and and the opening of this song is like the soundtrack to a mr rogers episode right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's such a nice sound I remember kids <laughs> but it's also misleading yeah, yeah. because yeah because that b is actually the the foundation of a minor chord that is where the song hangs out most of the time. But in that opening, yeah. you just get B, C sharp, F sharp. You don't get a third, which is what call, makes it major or minor. So that would be yeah. minor, that would be major. You get neither of those. You get this ambiguous hmm. pleasantry. And so that's how the song opens. And then the thing that lets you know that maybe this is not going to be such a pleasant ride as you for a moment thought is the reemergence of the tritone, which we have not oh. heard from. Our old pal, the tritone, was a old pal tritone. Was a Love very it. significant musical device uh, in A to B life. Not that they played yep. them all over the place all the time, but especially in the second half of the album, in Gentleman and Be Still Child, the tritone is a major part of what makes those songs sound the way they do. Yep. We haven't had any really prominent tritones so far in right. in Catch Rest the Foxes. 
Part of the reason is because what I've said several times is that Catch Rust the Fox is the basic musical language is of a natural minor scale. So in the key of B, where yeah. this one could be read, you have an A natural to a B natural, whatever you want to say about A's and B's, there you go. But, um, <laughs> but you don't have... You don't have that leading tone up, and within a given scale, the tritone only shows up in a major scale if you're using that leading tone, or in a in a minor scale if you're using that leading tone. So because we have this like in a harmonic minor, please everyone who's not a music nerd, forgive me, but whatever <laughs> the language of this album does not permit tritones in the standard kinds of arrangements of notes. So it comes as an awful mm. surprise after to hear and then we settle in to where the first verse starts. Interesting. Tritone. And then it kind of walks down. And then the verses hang out in, in B minor. So there's how we actually yeah. get into the music of this song and then now <clears throat> this pre-chorus moment there's this nice little guitar riff that plays in the background mm-hmm. um and all that is overlaid on top of um that like kind of pounding Tom thing going on and some atmospheric guitars, mm-hmm. but all that is still in the service of this B natural minor thing that's happening. Um, when we get to the chorus, that little riff just keep playing straight through. Um, but the chords underneath it change. And this is one of the most surprising moments up to now in, in me without use uh, output, because you get a real, honest to goodness, normal sounding chorus with, with actual like major chords in it. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Dare I say it's a pop chorus. Wow. It, it That's is. crazy. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. like it. Like, I mean, they kind of got close on gentlemen with like, and the impression of pop sensibility, but that was still pretty mm-hmm. intense. This, like you could drop that musical material into the life of a whole bunch of other bands and it would make perfect sense. And that's not saying that this is like all of a sudden bland and unoriginal. It's actually super exciting giving the context yeah. of everything around it that now we have like a kind of upbeat sounding pop chorus with major chords in it. And, and what makes that work so well is that it's so seamless um, coming yeah. out of the mm-hmm. song before and introduce this new key, but then that little riff that I, I think Mike is playing um, in the pre-chorus, just letting that continue unchanged into the chorus, but but moving the chords underneath it into something different makes it sound like it belongs exactly there. Because the pre-chorus sounds like something me without you would do on an average day up till this point. The right. chorus is the part that's really surprising. But because one of the two guitar parts doesn't change at all between those two moments, it feels perfectly at home. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I do. I do, too. And thank you for that comprehensive um, explanation, because it helps explain why the chorus is so good 
And there's another reason that it's so good that we'll talk about after I read the lyrics. So without further ado, I stopped believing you started to move. She was like wine turned to water, then turned back to wine. I stopped my leaving and the better man bloomed. And you can pour us out. We won't mind. I was dead then alive. She was like wine turned to water, then turned back to wine. You can pour us out. We won't mind. A scratch around the mouth of a glass. My life is no longer mine. Ooh, man. Yeah. So there's something I the I, I feel like this pre-chorus in some ways, or maybe the pre-chorus and the chorus together, mm-hmm. are somewhat of a Rorschach test mm. for uh like how committed one is to or or for perhaps like what kind of Christianity or or something one is committed to. I, the reason I say that is because the notations on um, on the Genius Lyrics uh, site like just sort of unequivocally state that this is about like uh, people like stopping believing, like it mentioned something about the Enlightenment, like like the modern world stopped believing in God. And so then God started to move to like prompt people to believe or so. I don't know. I, yeah. And I was kind of like, huh? I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) I I really, are you talking specifically about the notation for I stopped believing? Cause yes, that one, I was like, I disagree with this completely. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I think this is one of those great moments actually in Aaron's uh, lyrics that people often are referring to when they talk about the way that Aaron has helped them spiritually, Mm -hmm. um, the way that Aaron has helped them be comfortable in their doubt. Yes. To be comfortable in their, um, in their unbelief. Right. I want to believe, help my unbelief. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that passage from the gospels. Um, and so, yeah, I think that what he's saying here is that like, he, he stopped believing, but God like never left him in a way or, Mm -hmm. or that that is that it's when he stopped thinking that he knew everything so certainly like with such certainty that that's when he started to see things perhaps happening in his life. Like maybe because he, you know, at, I mean, Shane Claiborne is very well known for this way of thinking as well. Right. Um, for being a kind of like postmodern, uh, you know, um, (laughs) uh, uh, mystic almost in in a sense um and just to, to comment so, yeah, there so the, shane claiborne so, is is the yeah. founder of the simple way we've mentioned him earlier this yes. season oh, right. but if yes, you're yes, jump, yes. jumping in this episode he's connected right. to this other conversation we're having right yeah sorry yes yeah. shane shane claiborne is the founder of the simple way the the community that um that aaron joined uh so yeah so that's a i mean that's a really interesting um it's a really interesting moment uh and then this I want to I want to skip the parenthetical for just yep. for just a minute. That's fine. Um, it comes back in the actual course. Right. Of life, course. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I stopped my leaving and the better man bloomed. Yep. 
I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to contemplate from what was he leaving, right? From what, because I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I think maybe the, the simple reading is like, he didn't leave the church altogether, (laughs) right? He didn't leave the faith, maybe. The, the faith. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the church, I mean like church capital C. Yes. Right. So yeah. So he didn't leave altogether and he became better for that, for being part of this other community. Um, another maybe more abstract way to read that is that he stopped running from his doubt. Right. Yeah. He stopped, he stopped, uh, uh, and turned to face that, um, and, uh, and became better for that. Well, and, and I'll just insert, a. a, a not a secular reading, but the the secular component to this, because the last few songs have been quite dark. And yes. as a reminder, folks, uh, what is it? Nine eight eight is mm-hmm. the is the new new uh, suicide hotline. If if you're if you're mm-hmm. feeling concerned at all, definitely give them a call. They will help yeah. you out. Uh, but I bring that up to say that I stopped my leaving. Mm. Yeah, could also be I stopped mm-hmm. contemplating what it would yes. mean to be gone, yeah. not right. from to leave this altogether, war, right. to leave altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore embracing my, again, embracing my fullness as a human with all of my doubt and all of my flaws and all of the things I've done to other people, good, bad, and the other, I became better for that. Yeah. 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 And whatever the reading, just the actual image of stopping moving and being mm-hmm. still in one place, mm-hmm. it has resonance with the way the song is going to end, but also mm-hmm. it makes sense to talk about a better man blooming that a, yeah. something that blooms is a plant, which is planted in one place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yep, true. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love the pre-chorus of this song so much more than I ever did because mm-hmm. I always heard it as different words than that. And mm-hmm. I think all that is lovely. So I I'll give you my yeah. bad reading. Oh, and please. Maybe justify why. Um, okay. Okay. So honestly, I always heard, I stopped believing you stopped the earth. <laughs> Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can see how mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So go back and listen to the song, and with that in your head, to see if it makes sense that that sounds like the syllables at play, uh, which takes me, of course, to the book of Joshua, chapter ten. Mm. Um, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, "O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon." So the sun stood oh still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jasher. <laughs> so, you know, that's what came to mind for me. Uh, <laughs> as one, as one does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, okay. So I realize that sounds silly, but oh, well, just along like, okay, clearly the words I stopped believing are there. I don't think you can misinterpret those. And then the next mumbly bit I never heard as you started to move, but I really like that better. So, yeah. so, so in, in my own defense, I guess, because we're going to see the line, even the wind lays still a little bit later. Mm. I think I tied that back. Like, okay, if the earth actually stopped moving, then the wind would stop 
turning around it too, right? And so, well, and of course, you know, the author of the book of Joshua is imagining uh, the earth at the center of the universe, not the sun at the center of the solar system. And so that's the only framework is that God's, but, but now we're living in an earth-centered concept of the cosmos. And so he stopped believing that God stopped the earth, which is the only way you could imagine that the sun would stand still over the earth and that even the wind would lay still. I know that's wild, but just because that's how the line sanded to me, like I had all those images swirling around of this weird Mm. moment in the book of Joshua on this song that never made any sense because none of that had anything to do with this lady and the bags and the all the rest so thank you well both of you for clarifying and getting me out of that (laughs) but okay i hate that i'm about to pull you back in possibly but um (laughs) what's interesting and again i'll conjure up the half quote paraphrase that we've brought up a few times of andrew bird saying misheard lyrics are often more interesting than the real ones right um I mean, there's some interesting stuff there with the next album, Sun and the Moon. Yes. Uh, Among many other things. Like, I don't think those images that you're conjuring up are disconnected from me without you's corpus as a whole. Sure. They might not fit perfectly on this song, but I think that's what's beautiful about this band is that it can conjure up an idea. Oh, I realized I was wrong about that here, but I still keep it in the filing cabinet back in, in my brain. Yeah. And then it comes up and actually reveals something so much more beautiful yeah. about a, a future song. So mm-hmm. I'll say, let's hold on to some of that stuff that you just said, because yeah. I, I think it's going to be relevant in, in future conversations. Yeah. I, I'm with you. It's, it's an interesting image. We'll see if it pays any dividends. The other half of the pre-chorus is actually more embarrassing uh, because I literally have never known what the words are. And I was totally content with that. And it occurs to me now okay. that we're having this conversation, how bizarre that is. But I think I always heard, <laughs> I stopped my leaving um, better than Burr. It was just kind of a mumble. <laughs> and maybe end yeah. better than Burr if I had to like say it out loud. <laughs> and it just, <laughs> it just, you know. <laughs> that is one of those moments that I usually am not singing along with the actual words. I'm just making noise <laughs> but uh yeah right yeah like, that, no. it was just like it was fine whatever it's the part that's like about to get really exciting now to to put one more layer around all this i actually don't know if it's aaron singing the pre-chorus and that gets really interesting especially if we take it, the lyrics it does. that may be correct so i think this is dan singing it, it is. I think and, it is. And when they play it live, it's Brandon and Greg yeah. yes. singing as a chorus, yeah. like yeah. as a true choral moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So two things about that. One, my guess, because the entirety of the pre-chorus is absent from the printed lyrics and because it's Dan's voice there, my guess is that Aaron didn't write a pre-chorus, that he just wrote the chorus and that the band was in the studio working this out and they had this like instrumental lead up to the chorus and they were just like, this feels kind of empty. We should do something. And then Dan's like, mm-hmm. Hey, got it. I'm like, let me just sing this thing on top. It's going to be good. Yeah. That, uh, if it wasn't Dan, it, that feels right. So they, they made a call to insert this and mm-hmm. there's some value to that because, Oh, what song is it that, 
well, the lyrical changes to I Never Said That I Was Brave, the actual song versus the acoustic version are the acoustic version aren't printed in the liner notes, correct? So mm-hmm. there you right. go again. That's a Dan centric yeah. moment yeah. that's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. That's fascinating. And I don't want to go and like do a whole other layer of like, well, maybe this is like someone else's voice singing here. I don't yeah. think I do anyway. It feel it feels more meaningful to me to just let it continue to represent some part of our narrator's psyche than try to make this a conversation all of a sudden. But well, because we use the conversation, we'd use well, Dan's I, voice I to represent like a the, feminine presence in the in the last. Yeah, season, so. yeah, I see what you mean there. And oh man, now I I think we should take it there for a moment. But <laughs> we've also got this kind of half idea of what parenthetical or distorted vocals mean, mm-hmm. and so I think it could be a conversation within his own psyche. Sure. This is potentially her, quote unquote, as he imagines her speaking. Yeah. And it, that that's her in the unparent in, in the in the right. standard right. text. And then the parenthetical, she was like wine, which is definitely Aaron. Yes. Because he delivers it as he does with his post hardcore. You can see him ramping up on the stage as yep. he's saying it, running to the microphone because he walked all the way. He yep. walked 20 mm-hmm. feet away before he said it. Um, she was like wine turned to water then turned back to wine that's so interestingly paired that there's something there I Mm -hmm. guess is what I would say that the more feminine or at least the higher register singing implies to me it it, it is quite literally someone else singing than Aaron maybe so so. well and if you want to read the opening of the song as a metaphorical depiction of Amanda even if you want to put this in her voice it means something different, but it still means something, right? I stopped yeah. believing. That's kind of the whole mm-hmm. business of it to be like. It is. You started yeah. to move in what direction? It could be like, and I, man, Joel, I love that reading so much of like, I stopped believing. And and that was the thing that somehow triggered like God's action in my life that I, and, and that's, that's mm-hmm. going to resonate hard at the end of forward letter part two here. Yeah. Oh, God, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But if you if you bracket that to the side for a minute and imagine Amanda saying, I stopped believing you started to move where the you now is Aaron, not the Lord. Um, that yep. means something interesting. And then I stopped mm-hmm. my leaving and a better man bloomed. That works either way because it's not saying and I bloomed into a better man or whatever. Like there's no it's not a gendered mm-hmm. statement about mm-hmm. with with a personal pronoun. Right. So I. A better man bloomed right. to sort of put in the passive. So by her stopping leaving, he became better. Right? Mm-hmm. This makes more sense yeah. as I'm saying it out loud than it made sense in my head. And I wasn't even going to yeah. go there with this, but that's... Whatever. No, no, no. I think I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I do, I, I do want to get to the actual chorus because I'm very tempted. I really want to talk about she was like <laughs> wine and you can pour us out. So Okay, we'll um, go there. Go there now. Okay. Well, so I was dead then alive. First thing I'll say, dang it, Aaron, quit ripping off Rumi without crediting him. Oh, wait, you <laughs> do that till the very, till the very end. Uh, that's a line apparently from 
Genius, genius contributor, uh, thrash underscore the third. <laughs> um, Good old thrash. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I assume. Um, but it also, I'm anyone in the Western world, anyway, who hears I was dead then alive, Christian or not, is gonna think of the resurrection, yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and especially especially the letters of of Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, the epistles in the New Testament are constantly making reference to metaphorical death and and coming alive again. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right, right. Well, and given there, you know, a couple of songs ago, right? We had um this prayer come quick you light who knows no evening that comes yes. from two different contexts, both of which are, are resurrection prayers. And so for that to be aiming forward, mm-hmm. like beckoning God to come as the one who can bring about resurrection, and now to be on the back half of the album and make a statement like, I was dead, then alive, does feel like it balances that out as well. It certainly does. The, the scales have been measured. Yeah. Not with barley and buckwheat quite yet, but we'll <laughs> get there. There's also there's a kind of emphatic quality to uh, this is a declaration mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. i was dead than alive yep and for it to come after this pre-chorus right where the line is i i stopped believing you start to move right there i mean this to me i think could be seen as as very reflective again of like a certain kind of evangelical attitude that I think still definitely persists. And and I'm not being, uh, you know, I'm not being critical or flippant about this. Um, But where like the only thing that matters is like the affirmation of, of faith. Right. Mm -hmm. And that like everything else that's like circling around chaotic, right. uh, In terms of doubts and uncertainties and questions and pain and um, even actions, the the, yeah. And the the politics of being in a church and the messiness of human beings at the center of that storm is I was dead than alive. Yeah. Okay. For him, you know, it's, it's just, it's an interesting contrast with everything else that's been going on up until this point and and you know i think expressions of some very significant doubts mm-hmm. about himself about um you know his situation his faith all of this and then you have this moment of of like clarity yeah. i was dead then alive and right there's so um, and few. Which, which is going to be muddied again yeah it's going to be muddied again right in just a few few songs even yes. just in in the next song it's yeah. going to be yes. muddy Right. Um, but but you have again, I mean, we saw this in A to B life, too, where there are these moments of clarity mm-hmm. that yes. kind of break through in different ways that then get clouded again, mm-hmm. because that is what it is. Right. To work through these kinds of things. Right. I, 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 I yeah, I mean, doing <laughs> doing this podcast is has really like given me such a better insight into why. Uh, me without you's lyrics and just everything like resonates so so well with us. Like yes. we we're like really like 
pulling apart like the machinery <laughs> here of this. And it's, it's these kinds of moments that I'm like, yeah, this is what, especially when I was like 21 and listening to this, that, that kind of thing meant a lot to me, even if I didn't at that time fully understand or grasp what exactly was happening. Right. It, yeah. it, exactly. I think just to take a step back from this song or even me without you, I think that's why poetry matters and, and understanding mm-hmm. how to read it, not necessarily to parse out the actual meanings of the words, but like reading it out loud, listening to music that is poetically written helps yeah. you understand something, even if you can't intellectualize it. When I listen to songs like this, I feel moments of clarity in my own life, even though I'm not a person of faith. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right, Joel. The thing you just described is just the human experience. Mm-hmm. You could you could swap out faith or, or, or doubt about faith with doubt about life itself. And we see Aaron grappling with that more broadly than just faith a yeah. few songs ago. And, and we'll see it again in a few more songs and several more albums. In fact, every other album. But yeah. Yeah. So talk to me guys about Jesus turning water into wine. Because I think that's going to help us understand the metaphor of her being like wine or the simile yeah. of her being like wine turned well, into wine. Well, so so can I yeah, can I just start by saying that the way that I read this line. Yep is to take the simile she was like as referring to the entire phrase, wine turned to water, then turned back to wine. Ew, that's what, exactly what I, how I read it. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, and what I take that to mean is one way to read that is to say she is a miracle <laughs> um, on some level. Yeah. Because that is what, um, which I know like that maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I somehow audibly heard from the future a bunch of people listening going, oh, like <laughs> miracles. What? Yeah. Um, but no, I th- I think that that's one way to understand this. So the the story of Jesus turning water into wine is from John uh, chapter two, I believe. Yeah. And Stephen, correct me if I'm it wrong yeah, there, John but it's two. very early on. Yeah, very early on in the Gospel of John. It's only in the uh, Gospel one thing of John, that, too. It's not in It's the only in the Gospel of John. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, one, one thing that you know folks should know if they're not really familiar with uh, the Bible or the structure of the New Testament is that um, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they uh, all draw from uh, a the same hypothesized source that we no longer have access to. In other words, they share a lot of stories, right? They're synoptic because they provide different points of view on the same uh, events that they're describing. Um, And John is utterly different. John was written later. It does not use the same sources as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And because of that, uh, the stories and the tone of John yeah. are, is just completely different. So you have um, a, a lot of uh, a, a lot more stories of Jesus performing miracles um, in the in John than you do in the other uh, in the other text, and and just a lot. Um, 
Yeah, you have. Uh, oh, sorry, I lost my train of can thought. I, can I just pick up? It's just very different. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Steve. So, so for example, like in in Matthew, Jesus teaching his connection to 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 the Jewish uh, story, yes. the Israelite story now in the first century, part of the Jewish story of all of the Hebrew mm-hmm. Bible is very keyed in in a big way in the book of Matthew. It is through the whole New Testament, but especially mm-hmm. there in some, some notable ways. Mark is the place where you actually see the most like demons being cast out. It's pretty action-packed mm-hmm. and quick. Luke has much more of a concern for the poor and the outcast and the immigrant and all this sort of like marginalized people and the way that Jesus responds to them. And it has and a lot also, of healing stories and it in is it. Also, right. And it's also directed more toward uh, Gentiles yeah. because it doesn't have the focus on uh, the, the lineage and the Jewish story. Yeah. <laughs> my son just brought me an orange lollipop that's so sweet <laughs> thanks buddy <laughs> wow um and gone's i wish gone's jospel john's john's jospel john's jospel john's gospel put that on a t-shirt <laughs> uh-huh. um uh. i'm just so i'm so touched i can't even speak um Aww. John's gospel is is structured around seven miraculous signs. Um, it is no accident. There's seven of them, and the turning the water into wine is the first of the seven. So in the narrative sequence, after this very exalted opening, echoing the book of Genesis, when we drop into the actual, like, on-the-ground lived experience of Jesus, the first major scene we get there is a wedding that he and his mother, Mary, have been invited to. And the wedding uh, hosts run out of wine. And Mary comes over to Jesus and kind of tugs on his elbow and says, hey, do something about this, which is a weird thing for her to say if you just take the Gospel of John on its own terms, other than that he's just been introduced as being one with God. So maybe you can expect that, like, he could do something about this. But... (laughs) Um, but there's no indication up to this point that like, this is a thing that he does. And his response to his mother is basically, no, my time has not yet come. And that's Mm -hmm. a weird response to the request to, to, to like fix the party, which is basically what she's asking. Right. So she says, Hey, do something about this. Not necessarily implying a miracle, but when you read through to the end of it, it sort of implies it. He says, my time has not yet come. And then she tells, like, the attendants of the party, do whatever he says. She just kind of, like, brushes him off almost. And, like, she's not going to take no for an answer. Hey, my son is going to fix this problem. So then he goes and... I'm not going to get the verb right here. He does something. Blesses the water. He praise over it. Joel, I don't know if you have a, a Bible actually in front of you there. Consecrates. Hallows. Yeah, that's, those are all really good words <laughs> for this moment. <laughs> I'll just start throwing them out. Yeah. Um, all my biblical verbs are from Tolkien. So, <laughs> uh. so in any case, uh, there are these large pitchers of water um, mm-hmm. that 
I think would have been used for like ceremonial washing, not actually for drinking, although I'm not positive about that. Right. Yes. Almost and, definitely in, given the time and place. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so these jars suddenly become wine and it starts getting served to the guests. And then, so then the host of this wedding festival makes the comment that usually they bring out the good wine first and it's sort of strongly implied if not explicitly stated. And then once people are drunk on the expensive stuff, we'll bring out the cheap stuff and they'll just keep drinking and they won't know any different. And so, but he says, but you've saved the best until now. And so there's something about the wine that Jesus is able to make out of this water that is like better than anything they had before. And so there's something exalted about this experience. And this is not a church service. We don't need to go into now, like outlaying all what that means for who Jesus is presented as being or whatever. But like in the context of this song, um, what do you make of all that? If that's the backstory, why is that the metaphor here? I've got ideas, but I, but I'm curious what you all think. Yeah. I'll start by being the voice of, of genius.com just for a moment, because yeah. I think this is an interesting, uh, uh, quick reading. So commenter Katie rabbits, um, says, that she was like wine turned to water, then turned back to wine is sort of implying that Aaron may be suggesting the narrator's views have changed from positive to negative or neutral to positive again with Jesus's love. Now that implies that she is embracing Jesus again. And I don't know if we necessarily have direct evidence of that. We've, we've talked about that in previous songs that perhaps Amanda has fallen back into faith. Um, I think we talked about that maybe a little bit in disaster tourism specifically, but um, in any case, I I think that's an interesting reading, but with the, the more full context of the first miracle as it appears in John, I don't know if it's quite hitting the mark with the reading we've been taking thus far, Mm -hmm. especially with what we see in the next line. You can pour us out we won't mind. Yeah. Not you can mm. pour her out or mm-hmm. me out. It's us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah. didn't really make a point, but it's, that, a, no, that's good. It's a, complicating. Yeah. 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 I'm starting to rethink my initial impression now of this simile saying something like she's like a miracle. Uh, mm. Because, yeah, because the miracle is not to turn wine into water and then back into wine. It's turning water into wine. So right? what turned her from um, wine into water in the first place? Right. Yeah. Um, what undid the consecration, yeah. the exaltation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that it. Yeah, it maybe does make more sense to be something about being in faith and tr- falling away and then coming back or yes. some, you know, um, I do think that that makes more sense. So here, here we have um, 
from a purely structural standpoint, a binary statement followed by a ternary statement. I was dead, then alive. If one condition and then it's opposite. Then you have this three-part structure. She was like wine, turned to water, then turned back to wine. So what I see going on, roll with this for a minute. If you can overlay a line from way earlier in the album, like rescued by a sinking ship and mm -hmm. bring it into this conversation here, that if what Aaron sees as his experience of being brought into the fold of the Christian community was that he was rescued by a sinking ship, that he recognized yep. himself as being certain he would drown. Right. And well, that's going down another pathway, but like, if you take, take the image of him on the water, he, he was drowning. He was going to die. He was rescued. But unfortunately, the thing that rescued him, perhaps this church, <laughs> was itself sinking. And so it didn't do any good because he just kept on falling now with everybody else around him. So, yeah. So take that as the backstory. Then load that into I was dead like actually pulled down under the water. And now we get, you know, I thought for certain I would drown. Till I saw you in the ocean underneath. Now, somehow he sees this vision of God as like in, in all truth, regardless of the sinking ship that pulled him down. Then alive, take that as like this coming out of the water moment at the beginning of the Soviet, maybe like, so we have already these mm. kinds of descending, ascending images. We just don't get the line. Yeah. I was alive, then dead, then alive but it's almost implied right, right, because right. of the three part structure of what comes next. And for someone yeah, to be right. dead, they yeah, have yeah, to yeah, have been yeah, alive yeah, 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 prior yeah. to that. Um, okay. Okay. So then she yeah. was like wine mm. turned to water, then turned back to wine. If you take that as a parallel, then now her original state of being wine is like before I brought her into this whole experience with this church that turned out to be a sinking ship, she was already like wine and I'm fine with call calling that a miracle. Uh, I don't think that's sure, like, trite okay. at all. There was something about <laughs> her that was already like this rich and sweet and intoxicating, whatever like words you want to use to talk about wine is a different experience than water. She was already mm. that bringing her into this thing with me, turned her into water. It undid the miracles. She lost something essential mm. about herself in the process. And now through whatever pro wow. leaving, whether it's her leaving him, leaving or both, She's been turned wow. back to wine again now on the other side wow. of this experience wow. with the church. Okay, yeah, oh, I'm man. really digging I that. I love that so yeah. much. Oh <laughs> my gosh. really good. That is, yeah, I love that. And it's it's nice because it's a nice sort of like uh, counter reading to, I think, you know, at least according to like the interpretations we're seeing online, you know, that the wine is associated with good somehow like being a christian yes but but you're saying it's the opposite yeah right that like being that she was wine but then being part of the church took something from yeah. her and it wasn't until she left that she became wine again yeah right. I, that is uh, an amazing reading i love yeah. that yeah so for yeah. what it's worth part, part of where where that comes to mind um just because somebody out there listening may have heard of this or if this may be helpful i just want to acknowledge uh what is uh Best to give praise where praise is due, or something. Is that is that fuck the crow <laughs> and the cookie? Anyway, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, there there mm -hmm. is yes. a, <laughs> there is an entire um, 
conference that happens. I don't know if it's yearly, biannually. I've never been, but it, in St. Joseph, Missouri, there's a church called Word of Life that the church itself, as I understand it, went through a, a massive transformation almost exactly at the time this album came out, like around 2004, where the pastor had been preaching a sort of generally like broad Christian nationalist, like America is the best and God is on our side kind of a message to all of a sudden saying, wait a second, I think I've got all of this wrong. And like half or more of his congregation left and there was this whole big turmoil about it. And then, and he's, he's still the pastor of the church now, but he's been rebuilding it now for the last almost 20 years. And to like share that experience with other people who have gone through that, where they didn't go from like faith to no faith, but from what they perceive later as like a false faith into a real one that actually has substance to it. And the name of this conference for pastors and other lay people to come and talk about their experiences of that is called water to wine. So in that mm. case, it's not just the water doesn't represent no faith at all. It's just like anemic, empty, yeah. nothing. Yeah. And then there's something true on the other side, which, which jives with, if we're picturing him leaving one congregation and joining this community going from you know, missionaries in Amsterdam to missionaries on the streets of Philadelphia, meaning very different things. Yeah. Like all that fits here to me. Right, for sure. And I think that that, yeah, and it also fits just with kind of a, a general, again, uh, kind of progressive, um, sort of almost emergent church, like I, uh, a kind of uh, evangelicalism around this time yep. where the attitude was very much the church is not a building, right? You have people like um, uh, Jay Baker, for instance, like uh, having church like in a bar in Atlanta, like that was like a you know big deal back then. Um, yeah, you you have this whole attitude that like uh, of of sort of pushing against some of the traditional norms. Uh, of our parents' faith um, in search of something more authentic. And sometimes the thing that is more authentic is going to come across as offensive in some way to the traditionalists, right? And you, I feel like you really see that yeah. attitude play out, I mean— I I definitely know that lots of fans of Me Without You who are people of faith um, think that way about the church. I mean, this is like the getting into like the whole premise of the book that I'm working on in the search for <laughs> authenticity through, you know, underground music. But um, but it's reflected so clearly in in Me Without You. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It is. Yeah. can pour us out we won't mind scratched around the mouth of the glass and then in quotes my life is no longer mine ah mm. i didn't realize it was in quotes it, in the liner notes those. it's in quotes uh, yeah um, i love that interesting okay. now, this is not the first appearance of a wine glass nope certainly isn't um real quick the first line of the second half of the chorus you can pour us out we won't mind Again, a genius annotator states that this is a reference to 
um, correct my pronunciation if I'm wrong, but Philippians. Yes. 217. Even if I am. Nick, we don't we don't need genius to tell us that this is a reference to (laughs) Philippians 217. Well, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For I am uh, for I am but a heathen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Yeah. So here, let me, let me actually read, uh, kind of the context around that verse. So please this in this chapter of Philippians, Paul is, uh, and that was two seventeen. So I assume you're going a couple lines ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple lines before, and then, uh, just a one verse after. Um, so Paul is explaining to the church at Philippi, you know, what it looks like to be like Christ. Okay. So he says, starting in verse 14, do all things without complaining or arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding firmly the word of life so that on the day of Christ, I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain, but Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Um, Hmm. So to say, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith— is to me to say, like, uh, if if that is my purpose, right, to um, to sacrifice myself or my energy, my time, my yeah. life, even for the purpose of your faith, it's not in vain, right? It's it's worth it um, to to be that uh, to serve that function in a way. And in that way, if I can interject, that to me gives a lot of credence to what Stephen was just saying about the deeper reading of the actual miracle of, mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. Right. If if me blooming into this new person, if we want to read that line from yeah. the pre, mm-hmm. pre-chorus as, as the narrator, if I can be poured out in order to actually serve you versus what I thought that empty shallow version of serving you and, yeah. and, and, and helping guide yeah. you towards true faith it, that we saw in A to B life. Fine. Cool. Good. That, yeah. That's and, and you can go beyond her as we see, as he's kind of embracing this more simple, simple, true, simple way, which it's, a, it, it's not without its flaws, the simple way, but sure. it sounds like it's a lot more in line with what true living like Christ would be like. I mean, that That's certainly is the intention. Yeah. It certainly <laughs> is the intention anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and okay. So, so to tie three lines together, if we go back into A to B life, mm-hmm. I was once the wine and you the wine glass. Presuming for a minute, I think from our reading and just the natural reading of it is that like, he, okay, he's the wine. And, and then she is the wine glass here. Then it flips mm-hmm. the back half of that chorus. 
God became the glass and all things left were yep. emptiness. Now that's now at that point in that image, the wine sort of disappears. It just evaporates from the picture because God is now the glass mm-hmm. and all things it's left. It's about were the emptiness. vessel. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so hang on to that by the side. Now let's go into the metaphor in this song. I was a basket filled with holes. She was the sand. I tried to hold that ran up behind me. So now it's flipped. Now he is the container. She is the stuff inside instead of vice versa. And that also fails. Right. And Mm -hmm. so now upload the continued thought of God became the glass, sit it right here. And now both of them as the wine are contained within God, the wine glass and then on top of that, you can pour us out. Like you, God, can pour us out. We won't mind. That becomes a deeply ambiguous line, but to not get into like not caring if you're separated from God or whatever, just to read it as a as a confident, secure statement of faithfulness that now controlling the situation is not what I'm after, but just being part of what God is doing, right? I stopped believing. You started to move. You can pour us out. We won't mind. I mean, this is like, you know, reflecting any kind words, we'll let in all the blame. There's this this sense of non-defensiveness about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Well, and so let me throw another wrinkle into this. Yeah, please. <laughs> what if you what if we read so cuz the line a scratch around the mouth of a glass of the glass. That's just a noun phrase, right? With no verb, right? There it's uh, it, just a it's just a it sure sounds that way in delivery. It is not how it is printed in the liner notes. Ooh. Right. So, okay. oh, okay. <laughs> So is it printed as you can pour us out? We won't mind a scratch around the mouth of the glass. Oh, okay. So let me let me just read this exactly. And if yeah. any of you have the album around and you can pick this up, you can you can follow. So you can pour us out, dash, we won't mind, comma, as scratched around the mouth of the glass, comma, quote. My life is no longer mine, period, end quote. Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That just blew the doors off. Because, yeah, <laughs> because as I'm looking at as I'm looking at the what we've copied and pasted from the Internet, I was thinking like, OK, this could actually be read as we won't mind a scratch around the mouth of the glass. Like as we're being poured out right. over this scratch around the mouth of the glass, yeah. we're, we're not even going to mind. It doesn't matter if it's if it's imperfect or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right. But the but the way that it's written in the liner notes. Oh, man. Read that, so, read that punctuation okay, yeah. again. So um, <laughs> well, you can pour yeah, us out. Dash, we won't mind, comma, as scratched around the mouth of the glass, comma, quote, my life is no longer mine, period, quote. Okay, now, the the punctuation changes things, but also, it's, in the liner notes, it's not a scratch around, it's as, as scratched, scratched around. Yes. yes. Wow. So now... So it's like a passive voice construction. Yeah. Correct. So, the, as, as scratched, scratched around, around the mouth. Scratched, not scribed. Not written. Yeah. Not pr- oh Scratched my. by whom? Right. Yeah. So, but but then it's a quote. My life is no and longer mine. And whose life? <laughs> yeah. 
But that quote is now oh my somehow written on this glass, but in yes, kind of a... Yes, 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 Yeah. Well, that just really opens it up to the ceremonial, the sacrificial that we were getting yeah. from Philippians. Uh, oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I mean, okay, I have to say that that is, to me, that's much more powerful. It is. This image of my life is no longer mine being scratched around, like etched into the mouth of the glass, like as if someone took a nail or something and just like dug it in there. Yep. Then Um, gathering plastic and glass, she watched the day pass, right? I mean, this could literally be a a piece of garbage pulled off the street that somebody etched this in. Yeah. My life is not, wow, yes. Yeah, God, I wish that I wish the delivery like really matched that. Because <laughs> do you don't you don't get that in the recording. Like you, don't. you would no. have to read the actual liner notes yeah. to get that. Well, wow. And if if anything indicates that the my life is no longer mine is bracketed off as a quote, I feel like there's another voice that joins the texture just for a moment there and thickens it. Does. it that kind of sets it apart. Yeah. Even if mm-hmm. it's just overtones because of distortion, it yeah. it does create this there's more to that statement. Yeah. I know. I think it is a layered vocal. I think mm-hmm. it's Aaron on top of himself mm-hmm. on, uh, on that. Um, yeah. Uh, not that we okay. haven't had, um, too, too many, uh, rabbit trails through the Bible already, but I just want to <laughs> throw a shout out to numbers 28, seven. Uh, then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb in the holy place. Pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. I'm not being facetious. I think the image that Paul is drawing on in the New Testament is is from nowhere else other than the sacrificial system of the Torah um, and and yes. this concept of, of pouring one out for the homies. In this case, the homies are the Lord himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then, just to go down more <laughs> rabbit holes of the Bible, my life is no longer mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, another pronunciation. Uh, forgive, forgive me. Uh, Galatians. Mm-hmm. Galatians, you got it. To, to, yeah. uh, sometimes you get them right. Uh, Two twenty. <laughs> I am crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live is the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So again, we get this yeah. this commingling of the self with Christ, yeah. the shining one inside me won't say anything. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. And I bet you yeah. can probably find other statements like that. I, I was trying to think about this. I don't. There is. I, Acts sure. twenty twenty four. Anyway, I won't read that one. Uh, but yeah, go but, ahead. Yeah, Later I I thought like, there. I'm sure there are ample places in the New Testament that could be paraphrased into a statement like, my life is no longer mine. Yes. Yeah, totally. And to mean that in a yeah, positive yeah. way, right? Like if a person is kidnapped and locked in a yes. basement and said, my life is no longer mine, that means something very different. That's I, a terrifying image. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry to have gone there. I just want to point out that like in the normal way outside of religious jargon, that that statement would be meaningful at all. It's a terrifying right. thing to say. Um, and mm-hmm. and yet, in the context but of submission the, yeah. to God, it 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 feels different. 
It does, but mm-hmm. it's also been something. Uh, this is why it's uh, sometimes I confuse people with my atheism because it. I I find <laughs> that losing yourself to service of others is yeah. like that's the most high place you can be, sure. or the lowest mm. place you can be if you want to use. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but but anyway, the the most truly self that you can be is to be connected to the community around you. Mm -hmm. And so if your life isn't serving others, you're not really being you. Yeah. But in serving others, your life is no longer yours. Yeah. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the lesson here in Galatians 2.20 and Acts 20.24, perhaps a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And therefore, like, I think that can be a lovely statement outside of the religious context, if you think of us as communal, sure. which I'm just going to keep going there because yeah. of uh, the potential Adam Smith reference, like, no, damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's swat that invisible hand away and live yeah. together. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, anyway. th- yeah, that communal togetherness is certainly a theme of this album. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's pouring us out. It's not pouring me out. Whoever the other parties of it's, us, whether it's one person or a group, some that if that it's adds the two, to it. yeah, yeah, it does. It certainly does. It's well, okay. Just taking that there, and then I think we've beaten this horse well past death and resurrection at this point. <laughs> uh, uh, but just to take it there for a second, if we have two characters, the bag lady who may or may not be Amanda, and the narrator. Mm-hmm. The narrator previously in this album has talked about a shining one within himself, yeah. within themselves. Yeah. So the us could be up to three or more people, really. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that service, that act of being sacrificed, literally or figuratively, that's okay. Yeah. That's fine. We're here for it, as the youth say. Yeah. So just to transition us out of this chorus and into the second verse... I just want to say how much I appreciate staring down the punctuation here, the image of one of the pieces of glass that was picked up in the first part of the song, having the words, my life is no longer mine scratched on it anchors Mm -hmm. a, a very confident, but in some respects sort of abstract chorus. I mean, I love the chorus of this song. And, and I love oh, reading yeah. it as this moment of clarity. And it feels that way musically. The rhythmic cadence of the statement, I was dead than alive, is much more in the center of these beats than almost anything else Aaron gets at. Like, there's there's something very solid about this. But visually, tying this chorus of momentary triumph to the very tangible, physical, dirty, messy stuff of the rest of the lyrics of this song is so much cooler than it just being a triumphant, abstract sort of statement. Yes. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Joel, what's the second verse of this song? Okay, and if you're still looking for a blanket, sweetie, I'm sorry, I'm no sort of fabric, but if you need a tailor, then take your torn shirt and stumble up my stairs and mumble your pitiful prayers, and in your tangled, knotted sleep, our midnight needles go to work, 
until all comfort and fear flows in one river, down in the shop by the mirror, where you see yourself whole, and it makes you shiver. Wow. <laughs> this, yeah, man, uh, what a verse yeah. this is. God. Um, it, so it's what the first part of this kind of makes me think of, to be honest, is um, in The Cure for Pain. Yep. <laughs> when he says, uh, I open like a locket. If you're ever cold, I wrote, there's a warmth inside me. I'm the pocket of an old winter coat. Yes. Um, you know, and here he's saying, uh, I'm no, I, they I'm no sort right? of fabric. If you're yeah. looking for warmth. That's not he. It's not me. I'm yeah. no fabric. But if you need a tailor, right? So then he becomes this other metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yeah. I can help you work on the thing. Well, it, Joel, it takes me back to you talking about being a youth pastor and, and, and the students you were working with wanting to save the whole person rather than being an act of service, allowing the person to save themselves and advocating for et cetera, et cetera. What is a tailor? But they're doing a specific thing for you. They're not enveloping you completely. They're not becoming the suit. Mm -hmm. or the piece of clothing, right? They are helping you along the way. Yeah. But take, you have to be the one kind of taking ownership in some way, too. I mean, take take your torn shirt. It, it's like, it's, it's a specific problem with apparently yep. a specific response, which is to sew up the tear yeah. in the shirt, which is itself <laughs> a very sort of a humble response to this problem, right? Rather than like, oh, we have like a, clothing pantry let's just, let's just go get you a new shirt like right and but there's delicacy and care and intimacy to like fixing this thing that that a person values right that is you know for someone who owns almost nothing i imagine the shirt off your back quite literally is is a point of some identification and so to not throw that away yeah but to to delicately mend it and give it back is is quite an image it is. Yeah. So, Stephen, if I can ask for a clarification in the liner notes, because yeah. and stumble up my stairs is how it's notated. Yeah. I don't know if that's how I've heard it. Is that how it's written in the in the liner notes? It too? is. It says stumble my up my stairs. stairs. Yep. Okay. How do you okay. hear it? Cool. I honestly, if I if someone were to point a gun at my head and ask me to recite the lyrics, I think I would have said your stairs, which is interesting. But that might just be association because he just said your in the sure. previous line. Sure. Um, but yeah, just a point of clarification there. Yeah. And this next section, and mumble your pitiful prayers and in your tangled, knotted sleep, our midnight needles go to work is just so freaking good. <laughs> like <laughs> that middle line and your tangled and in your tangled, knotted sleep. I love the double imagery of, of sewing and mending clothes right. with a person who is sleeping, who has had a hard life, like yeah. the tossing and turning, turning like a door on like its a door, hinges, on, like a door on its hinges. Thank you. Uh, that moment while someone is taking this intimate care of this specific problem. Yeah. But again, it's our midnight needles, mm -hmm. not my or your our. Yeah. If you need a tailor, it doesn't say I'm a tailor. Yeah. It just says, 
take your torn shirt and stumble up my stairs. It was like, we're going somewhere, but then it's our midnight needles that go to work. Yep. Yeah. I mean, to take this very literally, and I, and I think that is a good starting point for any kind of poetic image. I mean, if you picture this house in this neighborhood in Philadelphia where the simple way folks live and are trying to help out the other people that live around there, I mean, probably literally there are stairs that you go up and there are like mm-hmm. people there who are ready to help maybe in this very specific task of like sewing a shirt back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all this may just be like a straightforward description of a real experience that he had. Um, however Could you want to make that into something bigger than that. But he, he then opens it up because so far other than, I mean the, the beautiful imagery and the delicate connections between each of these phrases. Now it sort of goes into technicolor from this point to the end of the verse. It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So talk to, I, and, and yeah, the next few lines until all comfort and fear flows in one river down in the shop by the mirror where you see yourself whole and it makes you shiver. Oh, <laughs> so just to continue the literal reading for a second, yeah. I'm now imagining that perhaps, and maybe this is biased by the revelation that uh, Rick's place was the place that someone lived and they played in the basement of a barber shop. Oh yeah. So when I hear shop, I think of a place that people are living yeah. over a shop mm-hmm. and there's a mirror in tailor's shops. There's mirrors in barber shops, sure. you know, so whatever, whatever shop it is. But you're like all of the things that have filled you, the comfort and the fear that you're feeling in whatever place you're sleeping, if you're an unhoused person specifically, are melting away. They're flowing away into one river. It's like it it is now instead of you thinking of like being comfortable or being afraid, it's you're realizing it's you as a whole. Like both of those things are happening to you in this moment. And then it's flowing down in the shop by the, there's a river in the shop. Okay. (laughs) I'll I'll take it. Right. Um, But in that the river could be the reflection, the reflective surface in in a way, if it's a slow river. Oh, sure. I, yeah, I, Mm -hmm. I, at this point, I'm not too concerned with keeping it all strictly. And now we're sort of almost in a dream state. It's like, we are exactly walking down literal stairs, except there's a river flowing. So in terms of directional imagery, just to, to, to pin it right here, because we had like a seventh floor balcony way back earlier on this album yep. and a bunch of descending imagery up till the midpoint. And if we're talking about it going up, this is maybe the first really clear image stumble up my stairs um, here, but then that doesn't keep on a constant ascension, but it is worth noting that a river as an image implies a mountain, right? I mean, that's where rivers come from. There has to be headwaters up someplace and yep. of course, the mountain classically, not just in the biblical tradition, but I think broadly speaking, archetypally functions as this place of sort of transformation and transcendence. And mm-hmm. so something transcendent has happened at the top of what now at the, the top of the stairs, mumbling pitiful prayers becomes this sort of transcendent mountaintop experience um, and then flowing down the river from this mountain then the transformation is fully realized once the mirror is, is in yeah. view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like the point you're making about it being a dream state because we haven't had a confirmation of the person awaking. 
no. from their tangled night in sleep. That's a good so point. the work is still continuing. Yeah. And the person may quite literally be dreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the realization is coming of, of the interconnectivity of comfort and fear. Yeah. You can't have one without it. You, yeah. Well, and just imagine. You can't have one without the other in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but also imagine being in the position of being in a strange place where some people you don't necessarily know, like you can sleep here tonight. Like that's a frightening proposition. It sure is. And hey, we'll take your clothes and you can go sleep in this room. Doubly frightening experience. But if you can start to trust that maybe they're not out to harm you, then there's this comfort that, oh my goodness, someone cares about me. But that doesn't eradicate the fear that's being experienced at the same time through all of this moment. Right, exactly. And so now I'm wondering, so we've talked about this literally, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're actually mending a torn shirt. Yeah. But where you see yourself whole, that, that begs to see the shirt as a metaphor now. Yeah. And I liked what you said earlier, Stephen, about the shirt in a sense being something that you're hanging your identity on too. If it's one of the few things you own, if it's your if it's your only shirt, even right. to have it removed from you, yeah, mended, and now you're seeing it yourself in it again, yeah, and in a, in a way that feels whole. Uh, and the, that line, and it makes you shiver. Oh my goodness, is. Well, in the delivery, yeah. too. Now, let me just say... The delivery, yeah. That in the now 18 years that this album has been out, the title of this song has always been Two Nonsense Words. Didn't mean anything to me, never had a clue. But, but Nick, you just said something about hanging this shirt. Yep. Yep. And now yeah, all of a oh, sudden... I, I was, I was going to go there when we talked okay. about the title eventually. Yeah, because, well, yeah, that's exactly... It's, it's this verse that makes that title, which is nonsense to me makes sense because specifically where do you get paper hangers tailor shops dry cleaners Mm -hmm, those sorts of services yep yeah so now now we have the image of the paper hanger kind of over the whole thing as somehow like an agent of transformation that by hanging this torn shirt on this object which itself is both like white and also mountain shaped. If you want to just dig away, this is True. a sort of shining peak of an object um, at the top of the stairs that is, is affecting this whole transformation. Like what now, what an yeah. interesting title that I never thought meant anything. Yeah. Well, there's something too about like the impermanence of a paper. Like, yeah, yes. it's wire covered in paper, but that's somewhat impermanent. Like once the paper's broken, you don't, think of it as a now less useful hanger right right if the song was Uh, called wooden hanger it would have a different feeling sure would yeah it sure would and maybe uh, i might be going too far with this but joel you said earlier that this song has those moments of clarity that are then often like we're going to spiral down again in really even the next song Mm -hmm. to into doubt and for the next few songs even so is there something there about the paper hanger kind of representing like this is this is a fleeting moment of clarity? It's, you know, you're it's a shoestring 
moment, if mm. you will, a, a shoestring moment of clarity. Like all you're clinging to is this this simple little yeah. thing that's going to yeah, tear. Yeah, no, I definitely get I think I get that. I mean, for sure, like a paper hanger is something that's disposable. Right. Right. That is temporary, that, um, you know, is fragile uh, in a way. So, yeah, no, I think that that works for sure. But it's interesting because of how powerful the moments of clarity in this song are. Yeah. Right. It goes back to our conversation as Veda B Life. Like those moments of clarity are true and useful. The problem is it's hard to hold on to those true and useful realizations. And you can never go back to that moment. You can remember it. You can memorialize it. You can build your life around the last time you had an experience like that. But you don't know when the next one is coming and you can't replicate it. There is something very temporary about it. And that goes back to the comfort and fear always being together. Yeah. Whatever binary concept we're talking about Mm -hmm. love and hate faith and doubt whatever it may be oh boy faith and doubt like to have faith is to have doubt and if you believe you can have faith without doubt even if it's only occasional then is that real faith Mm. and that's the same thing with any other binary that we have going on they are truly uh, I'm thinking about pennies being crushed into one, and I'm going to leave that one there because mm-hmm. we need to talk about <laughs> the rest of the song. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the metaphor is unfurling there even more so. Yeah. So. So what in the world? What in the world happens between the image of seeing yourself whole making you shiver? rest of this song. I was gonna ask, like, do you have anything to say about this lovely little riff solo? You could almost call it. Um, oh, I do. Only, that, I mean, so it fills the same structural role as yep. earlier in the song, but it's extended here. And and this is not profound insight, but just to bring it to your attention, if you want to listen to it this way, it kind of sounds like shivering. There's this trembling mm-hmm. quality to this moment. And, and I think it does uh, extra work for this part of the song because that's such, such a striking line at the end of the second verse. And the way that Aaron delivers it almost sounds like a shudder itself. And it makes you It's shudder. like he himself has just seen shiver the image yeah. in the mirror and that's how it comes out of his mouth. And rather than just jumping straight to the pre-chorus, like... Me Without You does so well on this album, they give you a moment to reflect. But the music reflects the kind of reflecting that you ought to be doing, which in this case is just accentuating and extending that shivering that you get there in that moment. And so it pulls what in real life is always a very ephemeral moment. If you get a shiver, either because it's literally cold or because like 
you're so shocked by something, you're so like overwhelmed, that physical response happens for a split second and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And so we get that in the, in the utterance of the word shiver in this song, but this musical texture that comes afterwards lets you just live in that shiver for longer than you really could. So we get an almost exact repeat of the pre-chorus and chorus, right? We do. The, the pre-chorus is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, exactly the same. And then the chorus is, I'll just read it again uh, for simplicity's sake. I was dead, then alive. She was like wine turned to water, then turned back to wine. You can pour us out. We won't mind. As scratched around the mouth of a glass, our lives are not our own, is how yeah. this is notated. So that's that's a change. And then I'll read the outro, too, for brevity's sake. Even the wind lay still. Our essence was fire and cold and movement, movement, oh. If they ask you for the sign of the Father in you, tell them it's movement, 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 oh, and repose. Hmm. Which... The delivery of that, every time I've seen this song live, is just a punch in the gut. (laughs) It's so incredibly well done. Yeah. So I think it's really significant that my life is no longer mine is what was scratched in the mouth of the glass. So that's something that he maybe read possibly literally, possibly just as a, as a, as a powerful metaphor here. Mm -hmm. But what that does by putting that in quotes and then not printing the chorus again, it, it makes that switch to our lives are, no longer ours or our lives are how is it our lives are not our own our lives are yeah i think i always hear it maybe it's our lives are not ours and but the own kind of gets blended yes. right into the beginning of this of this final section in any case pluralizing it now sounds almost extemporaneous like before my life is no longer mine was something printed and our lives are not our own is like him coming to the realization himself and saying this Mm-hmm. remembering what was scratched in the glass, but now actually making this as, as a, as a statement that he owns with her included, or maybe something much larger than just this one individual who's we've been looking at through the, the song. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just, what, while you were saying there, I was low quickly listening to just that line as it's delivered. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, you don't hear our own, because it's another one of those mo- those Aaron Weiss moments that he especially does on the last two albums where he just jams too many words into it to get all the syllables out. Um, but it has this effect of, jokingly, we've said, getting lost in the sauce again. Like, like as the statement is being restated from the collective rather than the personal, that, like... You don't need to hear all the words to understand the point of that oh, line, sure. I guess, is what I'm trying for to say. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and also, if this woman in the image here, whether it's a, a memory of, a, of an actual person or whether it's all an elaborate metaphor for Amanda. Yeah. Um, if she is the one that picked up a glass and scratched the words, my life is no longer mine she may not have meant the same thing that Aaron does by using the quote, my life is no longer mine. Yes. Yes. So you can read that line two ways, but now by 
making it a collective statement at the end, it almost like any negative connotations to my life is no longer mine that she might have intended by scratching it into the glass are almost like caught up and washed away in in the collective. Our lives are not ours or our lives are not our own. And now she's included in that in a way that is much more life affirming than if if there's any negative read you want to put on my life is no longer mine is something she would scratch into a glass as she's yeah wandering around. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, yeah it definitely mm-hmm. does. So, Joel, what's the yes. end of the song about? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Uh, I mean, I think that you have to bring it back to the pre-chorus, right? And this idea of movement. Um, although the movement... Well, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it, the this juxtaposition between stillness and movement is something that is going to come back um much much later uh on in in their discography. Well, I mean, not too much later, but on but Goodbye I. Yeah. Right. Um Goodbye Eyes, one of my absolute favorite Me Without You songs. There's like yeah. something so like, um, God, I don't even know how to describe it. I, I have to think of like how to put the feelings that it gives me into words before we get to that song. I have a lot of time. I will do it. But um, yeah, it makes me feel things. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the second verse, um, uh there's this line um well he's you know he's talking about the tortoise and the hummingbird and um uh the hummingbird observing from behind a yellow flower flapping his tiny wings so fast you couldn't see them um uh but the tortoise turned and smiled with a peacefulness that which proved there's a movement in our stillness and however much we move we're bound to stand completely still. Yeah, right. And then the chorus, let's stand yeah. completely still, let's yeah. stand completely still. Um, and there's, I, yeah, I think that in some ways this ending is saying something, uh, well, may, maybe similar, maybe, maybe it's the same, um, because the movement is the sign of the father. Yes, Right. Yep. So it's not your movement. It's God's movement. Yes. Right. Yep. The wind lay still. Our essence was fire and cold and movement, movement. Oh, if they ask you for the sign of the father in you, tell them it's movement, movement, movement and repose. Yep. Um, so, again, this juxtaposition between uh, uh, between movement and. Uh, a state of rest, yeah. right? Which is what repose is. And repose is not just stillness, right? Repose is tranquility, yeah. right? Yeah. Repose has this um, reflection uh, con- connotation, yeah. right? Of, of uh, rest, sleep, right? Being in a tranquil place, yes. not, not just frozen, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, tangled knotted sleep is not how... Like that's not synonymous with no. repose. That's not repose. <laughs> yeah. No, that no, no, is no. not repose. <laughs> this is 
if it's the same person, it's almost post shiver. They they have they have seen themselves whole, and now they're having a moment of actual potential repose. Yeah. So again, again, to pull in to pull in genius here, just to make this very complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a Gnostic text that this is apparently a pretty direct reference to, Gospel of Thomas, which is oh, a, okay. a collection of sayings that Jesus made. Uh, extra canonically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. apparently from uh, saying number 50, Jesus said, if they say to you, where did you come from? Say to them, we came from the light, the place where the light came into being on its own accord and established itself and became manifest through their image. If they say to you, is it you say we are its children. Hold on to that one. We are the elect of the living father. If they ask you, what is the sign of your father in you? Say to them, it's movement and repose. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I know next to nothing about Gnostic texts, um, <laughs> but the the commenter that brings that one in directly connects it to goodbye. I, of course, uh, because. Oh, he does. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because it's the same. It's the same sentiment. And really, it's the same sentiment that we're going to see in a couple songs in what we've called on this show before almost a throwaway line. But I think we're going to regret saying that, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the first time we see why not be utterly changed into father in forward fire. Yeah, fire in forward letter part two. Mm -hmm. Um, And then again in King Beetle and the Coconut Estate, where that's the light, like becoming one with the light. In a yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's I, a big old can of coconut to open here. <laughs> but that's uh, okay. I, yeah. So I had no idea that wording was borrowed from the Gospel of Thomas. That's super interesting. And I don't, like, I haven't processed that long enough to say anything about that necessarily. Sure. Um, but I don't know what the wind laying still means. I'm curious mm-hmm. what that communicates to either of you. Um, our essence was fire and cold. As soon as you take that as seeming opposite binaries, that throws me right back into comfort and fear from the line below. Just like you're saying, there's all these things that that come together. Um, And movement and repose, of course, are also a pair of opposites. Mm -hmm. But put this back into the context, because because the, the song sort of expands out into something cosmic feeling for this last moment. But to let it still be tied to a specific human interaction that seems to be the core of the rest of the song. Sure. To then say, and if they ask you for the sign of the father in you. Never minding that that's a quote from the Gospel of Thomas. It's super interesting that it is. But if you didn't know that, it still means something here. Uh, And if they ask you for the sign of the father in you. Speaking that to someone who in the context of the song appears to own very little and to not be like, yes, some, someone of, of means or of status in a community. And to say, what is the sign of the father? What is the, what is the evidence of God on, on you? Almost like an interrogation. What kind of an answer can a person who has nothing to show for themselves give and what an empowering statement to say, tell them movement and repose. That doesn't require mm-hmm. anything. 
I can move, I can stop moving, right? There's something so yeah. um, warm and and just like affirming about the simplicity of that. The gift of an answer right. you can give to anyone who questions you, whether, you know, not that people yeah. go around with the question on their lips. What's this? Tell me about the sign of the father in you. Like, that's like I've never heard anyone <laughs> <laughs> tell me that before. But, you know, right. you, you get the feeling. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I, w- I want to pull this last line here. Um, without still understanding, even the wind lay still. Although I love the way that yeah. line sounds and feels. <laughs> um, that mm-hmm. this business of the sign of the father as movement and repose, to me, ha- has has always been uh, tied to, to the book of Genesis. So the sign of the father at all, mm-hmm. to me, seems very closely aligned with this idea of that the image of God is upon uh, human beings. Um, going back to the ancient world where the idea of the image of God was typically uh, tied to royalty, but there's this strange essence in, in the Hebrew Bible that now this is sort of applied to this prototypical human couple um, in the first part of the book. So, so the image of God is applied to human beings, I think towards the end of chapter one of Genesis, but the rest of the first chapter of Genesis is about God creating the world and I just want to linger with the timing, just the sheer rhythmic presentation of the line. Tell them it's movement, 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 and repose. Mm-hmm. Yes. That yep. here at the end of the song, yep. we actually have a Sabbath cycle that's, that is built into mm. the structure of the ending. Because when you look at the book of Genesis and there's, there's a lot of different ways to read Genesis one, but there is a, a wide interpretive tradition that sees days one, two, and three of creation as God creating a kind of a space to be filled. And then days four, five, and six being a parallel where on day four, the sort of environment that was created in day one is filled with something to act in that environment. Same thing from five to two, and then from six to three. Um, so what you have in this line is movement, movement, movement. You have these three iterations of movement, and then you have the filling of, of what seems to be empty space with him just screaming the word and. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then with all of that like huge amount of energy that is, that is coming through this voice, you get the smallest little repose. Like at the end, it's like this little yeah. thing. <laughs> Repose. Yeah. He could like just land the plane and and just shout out the whole end of the of the line, but he doesn't. Um and and so to me to hear like three blocks, movement, 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 and then you have basically three more blocks of space where he could have said movement three more times, but he's just filling it with the word and, and then repose comes on the seventh rhythmic unit of that section. I'm going to say right now, I don't think that was intentional, but man, it makes me happy every time I listen to the song and think about it as being a rhythmic Sabbath cycle, because I I think that the fact that this band released seven albums and called it quits, uh, as I've mentioned before, is is worth reading. There was this movement in on A to B life, this moment of time where the music was in, in seven, four time for a little bit. And and I just wanted to 
ping that here for a minute to say that I think things in groups of seven seem pretty significant. And, and I think this is one of them just sort of hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And back again, I think that's so empowering to tell anyone that if somebody questions your value as a person, how could you dare claim to be the image of God in the condition you're in or whatever, that the sheer simplicity of, well, I move and I rest, that's all, except then the account in the Bible of what does God do to create the world? Well, he moves and he rests. It's also worth noting while I'm on my soapbox here that uh, <laughs> there's at least one, I think, compelling reading of the rest of God on the seventh day in the book of Genesis as not being God going to sleep, which is typically how we think about it as God just kind of like, okay, his work is done. He can lay back or whatever, but that, mm -hmm. um, that the entire world has been set up such that God can take his place on his throne. And so the resting is not laying down on a bed and sleeping, but sitting down in a chair of authority. And so he's resting. He's in repose because all is right with the world and he is ruling mm, in a yeah. place of shalom yes. and peace. Um, and so now with all of that loaded in, to tell someone, to tell this bag lady who's just had her shirt fixed and is walking out back on the street as a benediction almost. If they ask you for the sign of the Father and you tell them movement, 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 and repose, now puts her in this seat of authority that that's the sign of the Father mm. on her, that just by simply existing in the world, she is joined to that. Yes. Wow. Mm. Yeah. The only thing I want to love that. I, yeah, I really love that. And the only thing I want to add, yeah, I, I think it just adds sure. more to what you were saying. It, it doesn't change it. You can also read movement, not simply as physical movement, but what mm -hmm. have we seen throughout the whole narrative? I'll just stay only in this song for a moment. Well, this song compared to what we've seen in much of the rest of the discography thus far, moving away from a, perception of yourself and how you interact with others like a progression of yourself so not necessarily only physical movement but also moving into a new state of being mm -hmm. embracing the ever-changing flows of the world and i think that starts to help us understand what even the wind lay still mm. like this if you want to take this as like the most metal moment of, of it, musically, you know, and by metal, I mean like epic, mm -hmm. right? Like even the wind lay still to really accentuate this point that all that it takes to show that you are the image of God is that you have the ability to both, both physically, spiritually, intellectually, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. and to repose. And to your point, Stephen, Repose doesn't just mean sleep. It doesn't just mean rest. It doesn't just mean relaxation. It also implies reflection. It implies mm -hmm. what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath as is done in tradition, right? That's typically the day where you are contemplating the acts being done throughout yeah. the rest of the week. Yeah. Whether that's Saturday, Friday, Sunday, or I think some people Wednesday is a, a holy day too. But anyway, um, Point being, we do that. Animals don't. Animals move mm -hmm. and they rest, but they don't reflect. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Wow. I like Should I like we... that about the windlay still. I can yeah. see mm, that starting yeah. to come together. And 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 just even bringing out that the music changes there. Mm. I love the effect of having the cascading vocals happen at that moment. Yes. Because yep. there's one layer of the windlay still and there's an echo of that that comes right after it, which is almost the opposite of what's happening in in the words. Um but is. having that extra movement of multiple layers of text singing it there almost brings like more clarity to the image because you feel all the movement around. And so it makes you like desire the sense of like the stillness of the wind just stopping or something. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. It, 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 it like, I'm again, I'm almost imagining like a, a cartoon moment of this, like right before the stillness, it's as wild as it could possibly be. And then it falls away for a moment for us to really get this point. And then we get Ricky just breaking his arms. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Love the end of this song. Yeah. So heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great to see them play this live uh, on, the, I think it was Saturday, right? I, um, I think they played this in the last set. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Oh. Well, this was another um, king-sized episode, you guys. Well, more than two hours. We <laughs> 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 just keep getting longer and longer, I just do. like we've been saying. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, I'm really excited though for the. I mean, this. Yeah, the 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 last few songs we talked about. This one. The, and then all the way to the end, I just feel like every song, I'm like, ah, I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah, very excited. So come back next time, everybody. Yeah. We'll be discussing my exit unfair. 